Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Welcome In the Booth, everybody, on a Monday of a football bye week. Not an off week, but a game, or a weekend, I should say, with no game. It'll be until... Saturday the 4th of November before the Orange football team is back on the field against Florida State. That game announced today is a 12-20 start time, and so we'll spend some time looking a little more back than ahead at the game against Miami on the weekend. Orange basketball will actually be on the floor before the football team plays again, and good to have you in the booth today. Matt Park along with you, Joe Salzone riding in the sidecar today. In the booth on ESPN Radio is brought to you by CNY Realtor. Dot com, CH Insurance, and Burdick Ford. We thank them for being along. We thank uh, our friend Joe Convertino at uh, CH Insurance for still sponsoring the show a week after his uh, Best Places to Work banquet. Burdick Ford, part of Drivers Village, which uh, won the number one Best Places to Work uh, in the area here. Galaxy Communications among those honored uh, the other night as well. Lots going on at this time of the year as we work our way through the basketball charity circuit, so seeing a lot uh, out and about. A tremendous showing yesterday at the Make-A-Wish Foundation at uh, On Center, the Ms. Orange Luncheon. 700 screaming women, Joe Salzone. Oh. Getting uh, into the spirit of Syracuse basketball for a good cause, raising money for Make-A-Wish. Any, uh, any good-looking women there? Oh, there were plenty. Oh. That would 700 do that, of them. That... that I would. I would not be. Uh, I would not work well in that environment. No. No. But what environment do you work well in? Not, Joe? Not, yeah, I was going to say between, <laughs> between you and Paul. I'm waiting. <laughs> Let us know when it clicks. I, I'm this Paul. is your work environment, and so <laughs> that's not boding well. We'll cross this one off the list. We're still in search of environments where you do work well. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> right. So uh, keep looking. Uh, but that was yesterday, and then uh, tomorrow night, the uh, another of the. Early season highlights for men's basketball, the Boys and Girls Club uh, Foundation outing, the Hoops for Hope dinner over at Drumlin's uh, tomorrow. So uh, they do a great job raising lots of money for good causes in the area before the season ever starts. And then a week from tomorrow is the first exhibition game in the Dome. The Cuse will play uh, two games that don't count on the 1st and 6th before opening with one that does on the 10th. Had the Orange versus White event since last we uh, signed off on this show. That was Friday night. Good look at uh, O'Shea Brissett, Barama Sidibe uh, among the uh, standouts in that game. Frank Howard had a nice shooting game. Tyus Battle did his thing. So people had a chance to uh, catch that. Hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to chime in on any of that, including the Orange football game from Saturday, you can do it at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. If you'd like to uh, chime in on the show, Pete, our listener, singular, Pete in St. Louis, Chimed in on Twitter about this end-of-the-game scenario. Eric Dungey was the story of that game. There were a lot of things that came out of yet another close loss against a ranked team on the road. Syracuse's losses, for all intents and purposes, have been basically one or one-and-a-half possession games to NC State, LSU, and Miami, all of whom are in the top 25. Miami has the nation's second-longest active 
winning streak. There's no shame in losing those games. I think parsing over how the Orange lost those games is interesting and, and just where they're short. We'll talk with Coach Babers. You'll hear from him throughout the show in the week about uh, what is next, how they approach the bye week. At any rate, let's start with the idea that was thrown out on Twitter that uh, following the game there was some sort of skirmish or anything untoward between Eric Dungy and the Miami coaching staff. And I, I will say this, I, I didn't see it. I want to cover my butt to explain to you exactly why I don't see some of those things after the game. When the game is over, uh, as soon as the final play of the game, and in that case it was um, all she wrote with a knee taken with something like 20 seconds remaining. So for that 20 seconds, I am uh, scribbling down stats and little nuggets and I'm taking my scorecard and paperwork and I'm trying to think, how do I get to the locker room as fast as possible uh, to interview Coach Babers and players for our postgame show? So that's a little inside uh, in-the-booth baseball there to give you a feel for how that goes. And at Miami, as we'll talk with uh, Bob Washusen later in the show, uh, easier said than done to get from point A to point B at uh, Hard Rock Stadium. So that's my preoccupation. So if something happened on the field uh, just as time was expiring or just after it, the reason I don't see it is by that point I've got my back turned to the field and I am running out of the booth to get to the postgame show. But there, I did see on Twitter, which I typically break out immediately on my walk or run down to the locker room to see what the buzz is, that there was some thought that uh, Eric Dungy mixed it up with Manny Diaz, the uh, defensive coordinator with Miami. And my understanding completely is that Manny Diaz sought out Dungy to say what we all thought about Dungy after that game hey, man, you're a warrior, and what a competitor Eric showed to be in that game. Yes, uh, Eric did, I think, jaw at a Miami player a couple players plays prior to that. Uh, it was hotly contested, but I do think all in uh, good sportsmanship and in good fun on that day. And if Manny Diaz did seek out Dungy, as I believe he did, well, of course he did. Dungy had the worst throwing game is probably imaginable for him for all kinds of reasons. Coach Babers was quick to put blame on receivers, which was, uh, to me, a little bit of a head-scratcher because I think at least two of the Dungy interceptions looked to be thrown up on the hopes that maybe somebody would be in the area to catch them. They looked to be thrown up for grabs, and they were easily intercepted. If that was a route broken off or uh, confusion on the part of receivers or Phillips or Steve Ishmael, then uh, maybe it is, but maybe – Maybe I was not uh, sophisticated enough to notice that. There was another one where he threw it into an armpit and it was intercepted because of the traffic he saw. Dungy saw so many green jerseys in his face throughout the day, scrambled. He ran for 100 yards. When you run for 100 yards on a day where you also gave up 25 based on sacks and lost yardage plays, that means you were doing something right. And uh, that was the story with Eric Dungy on that day. Pretty incredible. Uh, The way he kept the orange in the game, as did Cole Murphy. People want to go out and take shots at Cole, who was one for six outdoors kicking last year. He made four field goals in the game on the road at Miami. Uh, He said the wind kind of protected him uh, from the element, or the uh, way the stadium is built protected him from the elements there. Uh, The wind, while it may have been felt, he said, did not impact the ball, and he had as good a game as you could hope for, including a 52-yard field goal that puts him in a tie for, uh, or puts him alone now actually in second place all time for most 50-yard field goals hit in a career. He now has four. Dave Jacobs, who you can pretty much see at any time you'd like up on Marshall Street, 
has the career record for 50-plus yard field goals with seven. If you had a different uh, perspective on the game, on the end of the game, feel free to chime in at 315-437-7644. That's 315-4ESPN44. If you have anything to comment uh, on the game or questions to ask, we would be happy to field those. I have a question for you. Yes, sir. I saw someone, you mentioned the word perspective. I saw someone on Twitter on Saturday ask you or respond to your uh, picture from the broadcast booth and the, and the kind of strange angle that you guys were in. Did that, uh, did that hamper the broadcast at all? Uh, yeah, of course it does. <laughs> you know, and to me, the and we'll, we'll joke about it with Bob. I'm not going to complain about it because I don't think anybody really cares. But, yeah, obviously the way stadiums are built now, they put a premium on revenue production. So what used to be radio booths at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami are now suites. The radio booths are on the opposite side of the stadium and kind of in the corner, very unusual angle uh, to watch the field. I would say this, the vantage point itself was better than I feared. I'd seen pictures, you know, kind of word gets around in our business, my colleagues, hey, this is the worst position in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. What stinks is it's kind of cramped. You're cut off from the rest of the press operation and civilization that way. And probably more than anything, I would trade pretty much any of the rest to have the windows open. Mm. Windows are not open in that booth. You feel kind of um, sterile, like it's playing out in front of you, as opposed to feeling like you're there and you get the buzz and the hear the whistles. And the, we could hear it through the microphones, but uh, that's only through the, the benefit of technology and the wiring. It's not because we were out there in the elements uh, to any degree. At the same time, it's not raining in on you and all kinds of other uh, trade-offs that way too. So nobody wants to hear us uh, complaining about that. But uh, it is unusual, and uh, we did share that on Twitter with the people. It is uh, it is probably, it's funny, it'd be the second worst vantage point we've ever had in broadcasting, um, second only to Yankee Stadium where we broadcast the game both times at the Pinstripe Bowl from directly between the uprights. <laughs> so the field is going, the, all the play is going in the way you're looking, not perpendicular as you're used to uh, it being. And so the telling the difference between a two-yard run and a four-yard run that's happening 100 yards away is uh, is very difficult. But uh, did not turn out to be quite as bad as I had feared at Miami. One of the things we'll talk about with Bob, who also does, he did the game on TV and he also does the New York Jets games on radio, is that the field is torn to shreds there at Miami. It rains every day. They've had a hard time uh, for players keeping their footing, and I know that was a factor in a uh, close loss for the Jets yesterday. The Jets also were a factor in their close loss to the Miami Dolphins. So we're off and running. Hope to have some uh, news of the day, some sound from uh, Dino Babers, and Bob Wischusen of ESPN and the New York Jets will join us a bit later in the show. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Tune in every Monday as Hall of Famer Floyd Little talks SU football with Steve and Seth on Orange Nation. Brought to you by Drivers Village and William Matar. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Hey, it's Mike Golick. This is the pulse of the orange. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Still on the run. Here is uh, Deshaun Jackson. Finally cut down. It is Mr. Big Stuff, Marcel Darius, who makes the tackle that ends it. What a crazy play. Last play of the game. 
desperation play by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Buffalo Bills, who made more than their share of mistakes today, get away with a victory, a 30-27 victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a wildly entertaining game. John Murphy passed in the booth guest and the voice of the Buffalo Bills there on the 30-27 victory for the Bills against the Bucks at Ralph Wilson Stadium, New Era Field, yesterday. So the Bills uh, continue to kind of be on track here in the uh, first year under Sean McDermott, now 4-2 and two with the uh, win yesterday against Jameis Winston and the Bucks, who fall to 2-4. and four. This was a tight game throughout. Looked like the Bills were going to blow an opportunity as they gave up a late touchdown to the Bucks, but then lined up to scramble into field goal range, and Steven Hauschka came through again. It's a 30-yarder from the right hash. Ferguson, the snapper. Colton Schmidt, the holder. The game on the line with 18 seconds left. 30 yards. Snap is good. The ball is down. Hauschka's kick is up, and it is good. It is good. 14 seconds left on the clock. House money. They're playing with house money again today. Steven Hauschka gives the Bills a 30-27 lead with 14 seconds left. Like that from Murph, Hausch money, the former NC State kicker Steven Hauschka, and uh, new to the Bills this year, converting there for the game winner, Daryl Johnston, Lewiston Porter High School product and uh, Syracuse fullback of years gone by, one of the best all-time uh, Orange players, did that game on television and uh, made the point at the end as they were signing off about how important Hauschka is going to be the rest of the way. Your kicker is important in close games, and uh, that's what the Bills are going to have. Bills uh, continue to play out of uh, division here for the foreseeable future. Bucks there, and then got the Saints coming in to uh, Orchard Park, and then some here in the next few games coming down the line for the Bills, now 4-2. and two. Kicker was important in the Orange game on Saturday at Miami as uh, Cole Murphy hit four field goals. That's also the issue, that the Orange had to settle for field goal tries instead of touchdowns in the red zone a number of times. That's what Dino Babers identified as the number one area he wants his team to work on come the final third of the season. Now the Orange are 4-4 four and four with four games remaining in the regular season. Need to win two to get to a bowl. And to win those games, you'd be better off with touchdowns than uh, settling for three. But when they do line up for three, they're getting them right now because Cole Murphy has had a very good year. Murphy just uh, two misses for the season, four field goals in four tries on Saturday. So the special teams was uh, clearly strong. The idea of offense versus defense, well, the Miami defense made it awfully difficult for Syracuse in the game. The speed of the front seven made it difficult for them to move the ball horizontally in the way that they typically have. First of all, the passing game was not as routine. Eric Dungy saw a lot of traffic. Had, as we've talked about, the lost yardage runs and the sacks. The runs that they did bust off, Dante Strickland had his two biggest runs of the year. And not coincidentally, those were between the tackles, between the hash marks. Syracuse tries to throw the ball to the perimeter, and in this case they still achieved the same sort of benefit by Miami anticipating that and really pushing up. Michael Jackson, the corner, who had two interceptions in the game. Uh, he was a forced. Trajan Bandy, 
on the other side. They had gotten on the uh, Syracuse receivers on the outside. So that left fewer bodies in the middle of the field and allowed Strickland, once breaking through the line, to pick up chunk yardage, which we hadn't seen him do all season. Prior to the game on Saturday, his longest run for the season was 14 yards. He bettered that twice in the first half of Saturday's game. Babers broke the game down this way in terms of the offense, defense, and special teams where the Cuse may have won two of the three. Well, the defense played outstanding. And once again, there was no turnovers in the second half. We were giving them a long field. We are giving them a long field. They were out there battling with them, and they were stopping a very, very explosive offense. You know, we might have won the game if we took our offense off the field and their defense off the field and just let their offense play our defense, we might have won. Unfortunately, you can't play the game that way. It takes an entire football team. Well, the Orange continued to get people's attention with close losses. They want to do it with wins, but when you, on a nationally televised game on a Friday night, beat the number two team in the country, that gets you recognition. The locker room celebration makes it carry through the weekend. People are going to notice Syracuse. In fact, the Orange got a vote in the coaches' poll in the top 25. Just one measly little vote, but at least that's somebody that has sort of noticed. When you look at the four losses, one is to a Middle Tennessee team that has not lived up to its billing, and that's not a good loss, and you're not going to get it back. Orange could be 5-3 and three, even with that win. And the other three losses are against teams that are all currently in the top 25 and all were close games. The Orange made mistakes, really, at LSU to keep from making that one closer or being more of a threat. At NC State, sort of outdone by the experience and the closing ability of the Wolfpack in that game. And Miami, to me, is a better team than Syracuse and probably should have been up a lot more. It was a 13 13- Nothing game to start. It was 13-3 at halftime, and it felt like it could have been 30-3 to at halftime. But Syracuse battled back and looked as good in the second half as they are capable and had all you'd hope for. If we told you last week at this time, Syracuse is going to have the ball with two and a half minutes to go, two timeouts, and needs a touchdown to tie, everybody in the community would have signed up for that. So that's where they are. Now it's a matter of how they approach the bye week. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, Coach Babers on the idea of his team's improvement, and he gets asked this by the media in the other markets and the national media on a regular basis. What's the difference between last year's Orange team that won four games total and this year's Orange team that has four wins so far? I think the biggest difference is our quarterback is still standing up. Last year we didn't have him. We went four games without him. This year we, got, we still got him. We're going into a break. Hopefully we'll get a lot of players back that are hurt. You know, we haven't played with our start and defensive end since the first quarter at LSU. You know what I mean? There was a there was some critical plays out there that could have been made and our defense is playing great. And they still could have been made. And we're gonna be I, I guarantee you people aren't excited about playing us. The four teams that are left, they're not saying, Oh goody, here comes Syracuse. I guarantee you that. Well there's no doubt about that. And if you look at the teams that are left for Syracuse, in particular Florida State who plays Boston College on Friday, so that's two of the teams. Florida State is winless at home. So they might be thinking, hey, this is a team where we have more talent. We're going to get a home win by beating Syracuse, but it will not be a layup for them. They need to get their act together following the loss of their quarterback, DeAndre Francois, in game number one of the season. So that's one thing. Louisville, you can't figure them out week to week. The Orange might be able to jump on them on the road. Louisville's been a, a pretty inconsistent team. They lose to BC. They beat Florida State. Got a lot of talent and uh, trying to get 
them to fly in formation. Wake Forest beat Syracuse last year at home. Both teams have improved and grown up over the course of the year, but last year was a hurricane, and Winston-Salem and the Orange did not play well at all. They'll get them in the Dome on November 11th. That can be a big difference. And then it might come down to that Boston College game on Thanksgiving Saturday. BC has the emergence of a freshman running back that's 245 pounds and running over everybody he sees. So everybody's a little bit different from one year to the next, Syracuse included. Now, Syracuse is hoping to be a better team in the last third of the season than it's been so far. And one of the ways Coach Babers just alluded to, and that could be the mending of injured players that have been out for this recent run, most notably Kendall Coleman. Coleman was playing the best football of his career at the start of this year, had a sack early in the LSU game, the first third down of the game for LSU, missed the rest of that game and all the time since with an ankle injury. But if he is able to get well during the bye week and come back, uh, that would be a big boost. Now you take the guys that have been playing maybe more than they're used to, put them back in their roles, and now you're, if you Coleman back and Josh Black back is another one who's who's been out, now your Brendan Barry becomes a role player, Bear Williams more of a role player, Chris Slayton gets a breather once in a while, and those players all become better and fresher. Scoop Bradshaw did not make the trip to Miami, maybe he returns, and now Coach Babers is hinting that there's a possible return for Antoine Cordy. Uh, the paperwork and the idea of do you do that versus getting him a sixth year of eligibility and all, all of that um, is uh, something still to be discussed, but it sounds like they're trying to get Cordy uh, back on the field in this case. And so that's really four. They may as well be starters. Uh, Black might not be literally a starter, but he's close enough in my book. The other three definitely are. So you're talking about four starters to what is already an improved defense. Paris Bennett and Zaire Franklin are playing at an exceptionally high level. Bennett had 10 tackles in the game on Saturday. So there's reason to see the Orange defense improving. They will mend during this bye week. The coaches will also get into some self-scouting and uh, figure out if they have any tendencies that they want to break for the tail end of the season. So that's kind of where Q's football is right now with a little bit of a breather in that action. If you'd like to chime in with your scouting report on the Orange or any questions you may have about uh, Syracuse football or, for that matter, anything else, you can visit us at 315-4ESPN44, 315-437-7644, if you would like to chime in on the show. We'll be back with more In the Booth as we continue on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. We're talking to Dino Babers, head coach of the Orange. Always great to catch up with you. Best of luck this weekend. I think if you guys pull this off, you're going to have all the ramen noodles you can handle to make those post-game meals. Uh, Brent, I just want you to pick us to win one of these things one of these times. <laughs> well, you know, you never know, coach. Could be this week. Could all be right, this brother. week. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. Cavaliers guard J.R. Smith responding over a traffic ticket. Smith pleaded not guilty on charges of reckless driving and excessive speeding. Smith was pulled over October 12th on the outskirts of Cleveland. Smith's lawyer entered that plea. 
Really couldn't care much less. Hopefully he's not <laughs> driving uh, recklessly and uh, hopefully he wasn't doing anything he shouldn't have been doing. But uh, I don't think he's a guy that I would be friends with, J.R. Smith. We don't seem to have a lot in common. Well, here's what I don't but, get. Is there such a thing as good speeding? Like uh, a, excessive speeding? Yeah. Uh, I would imagine that's a certain, that's more than 8 or 10 miles an hour over the limit would be my hmm. guess on that. Next. The Bills, they say they're open to trading Marcel Darius. That's how it's pronounced, right? Yes. Ooh, all right. Same player that uh, John Murphy in that highlight called Mr. Big Shot or Mr. Big Play. Well, reports say Buffalo is considering trading him ahead of NFL's trade deadline coming up next Tuesday. Not going to go uh, chapter and verse for you on the uh, Bills' depth chart, but I would say Marcel Darius is one of their better, more impactful defensive players. And there's a lot more to these moves at the NFL level then meets the eye about whether this guy fit on our team or not. It, you know, cal- uh, salary cap implications and, and that type of thing. And the Bills are led by a defensive-minded head coach and a defensive organization. If they think they can get somebody to play his position cheaper and they can trade him for some value, they will. I'm going to warn you about this next one. This Great. is the best story I have ever read. 54 years ago this week, the first cat was launched into space. The 12-minute flight took the feline 97 miles above Earth. The so-called AstroCat has largely been forgotten until now. A British man wants to erect a statue in the cat's honor in her native land of Paris, France. Did you know that there was a cat in space? No. I didn't either. First of all, it wasn't the first cat it wasn't? launched into space. There were plenty of cats before that, 54 really? years ago. It was the first time a cat was launched into space, <laughs> but it wasn't the first cat. <laughs> Right? (laughs) 12-minute flight. What I didn't include in this story is a few weeks after... Whatever came of the cat, yeah. A few weeks after the the cat returned, uh, it was euthanized so doctors could find out the effects of space on on a being. Great. I didn't want to include that because that's kind of... That's not not a happy. Uh, I, 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 there's a man out there, out there that obviously has nothing better to do with his life <laughs> than to have a statue in the honor of a cat. Uh, what is wrong with people? I wonder what kind of uh, close it. We got Frank's on the line waiting. Do your sponsorship, but Frank's got to be thinking. I, I'm. They said they had a segment, and I'm waiting through this. <laughs> do we care? Brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. Sorry, Frank. It was sponsored. We got to do I'm, those things. I'm I'm speechless. Yeah, it, just don't be. We 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 need to lean on you here a little bit. There's there was a lot of cool cats that were up in space way before that feline. <laughs> yeah, I got your drift. They didn't take rockets. Listen, uh, you were down there obviously doing your excellent job calling the game. I'm not trying to butter it. you up, but you are one of the best around in my view. Well, thank you, Frank. You can call that anytime. Said, no, go ahead, you. No. Me up a little bit more. Yeah, there you go. Come on down. In fact, well, maybe we'll have that the day that Cam's Pizzeria finally delivers. Frank, you're invited. You've been talking about that for three weeks. I think <laughs> I or know, four. I know. You'd think they'd get the hint. Yeah. They. Well, they may, but I doubt it. This season, maybe next year. You were down there, obviously calling the game. How bad was that football field? That yeah. They put those people on to play a football game, and I and I realize it's a pro stadium. And I realized that the weather was not – the weather could have been a lot worse from what I understand Correct. than it turned out to be. But how bad was that? Let's say this. It's a pro stadium um, so they, in a place that shares with college so they could have up to two games a weekend. 
it's a pro stadium in a place, Frank, where it rains every day, every day. So we were I trying to it. calculate the uh, percentage chance it would rain during the game. It was like, well, it rains at 4 o'clock every day. So, of course, it's going to rain right. during the game at least a little, which it did. And it could have been a whole lot worse. Uh, I think we were all fearing for worse. It looked a whole lot worse in the Georgia Tech game the previous week, if you watched that right. on television. I so did. my understanding uh, is it was new turf, which is really the concerning part. And maybe it was only new between the hash marks, but I don't think that's the case. We were told that they put new turf down, and uh, on the outskirts where nobody plays, it looked beautiful. It looked like the best fairway you've ever seen, and that the stadium itself, we were moaning about the broadcast position. The stadium itself looks really cool and looks like a fun place to go see a game if you're a Hurricanes fan or a Dolphins fan or or uh, anybody just with a ticket there, it'd be neat. Uh, maybe the humidity notwithstanding. The I, I was just I was just, uh, and I knew that uh, I, I watched the Georgia Tech game and I yep. saw the uh, the condition at that time, and the weather was a lot worse. But you don't put new turf down anywhere and hope that it's going to be good in a week's time. It, I wouldn't think it's so. It's grass. It's got to it's got to root itself regardless, and I, it blows me away that. Um, some of these big time programs and pro stadiums just can't get it right. I'm sitting here right now watching a replay of the Michigan Penn State game. And there's not a probably not a better grass field in the in the country than at Penn State. It's amazing. But I I felt bad for the kids because I I don't like when elements take over talent. And I give a lot of credit to Cole Murphy, by the way, for uh being able to do what he did because that was that was crazy, just deplorable. But anyway, um, the game was uh, the game was an exciting game. Um, once again, I think Syracuse could have won the game. I went down, by the way, to the LSU game live, and uh, that was one again where they could have won. You can take positives out of everything. Four and four is okay. They got to finish strong. They've got to. They've got to. They've got to win a couple. We all hope they do. I think they have the talent to do that. And you couldn't get a bye week at a much better time than they're getting it right this week. So hopefully they'll heal up a little bit. Enjoy your show. You guys do a great job. I will talk to you soon, and uh, I'll be down there as soon as I get the invite <laughs> next year for Mark's Pizzeria. Cam's Pizzeria. Let's at least get Cam's, the sponsor. Cam's, Mark's, whomever. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should call Mark's. Well, maybe. Hey, we'll, we'll have a bidding war for it. Thank you, Frank. There you go. Have a great day, guys. And Stay thank up. you uh, for all of our friends at Cam's Pizzeria. Again, if you do want to bring the pizza by on a day we're actually here, we're here through at least Thursday. I'm not committing to Friday's show this week, by the way, if anybody wants to know. We'll, we'll, that's a game-time decision. But uh, Cam's, come on down, and we'll invite Frank, and we'll, we'll have the whole, whole crew. We like pizza. Uh, so here's the thing on the field, and we're going to talk with Bob with Susan, who was there for both games this weekend here in just a moment. Bob did the game on television for ESPN, also does the Jets games on radio. And I will say this. I don't recall times where I've seen multiple plays where guys wiped out. The Miami kicker, Michael Badgley, he's a good one. He wiped out on the kickoff twice. And so the plant leg not there. So even more respect for Cole Murphy drilling that 52-yard field goal like it was nothing and uh, impressive stuff. I use as an example a field, you know, Miami, the field should be grass, okay? they got to get it right. If it's not right now, I'm not sure. they got a Super Bowl coming up. They've got the, you know, college Final Four on a regular basis. They need to get that figured out. Pittsburgh's the one I can't believe 
hangs on to grass. The Rooney family uh, is uh, apparently against artificial turf. They insist on grass. They've got a lot of money. They can continually put new grass fields in there. But they play the Steelers games. That's 10 games a year at minimum. They play the University of Pittsburgh games. That's six or seven games a year. They play key high school games there on, you know, might be a whole Friday or a whole Saturday of four or five games in a row. That ought to be turf, and it would look really sharp. They could make it work for the two teams um, in a place like Pittsburgh where you can't grow grass as well. A little behind on the time here. We'll take a break. Come back with Bob Wischusen of ESPN. Get his thoughts on the Miami game and, uh, for that matter, the tough Jets loss when we continue. In the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get the latest about Syracuse football. Get a preview of every game from Coach Dino Babers. We're going to have the toughest schedule in the country next year. I'll push all in on anybody. It's not lip service. Look at the schedule. Get recaps from former players and the media that follows every play. Uh, He is obviously the best quarterback on the roster right now. It does not take watching many minutes to discern that. No one brings you more Syracuse football. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Hi, it's Jim Beheim, and you're listening to the Pulse of the Orange, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Just a few more minutes here in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Back tomorrow at 2. Bob Wischusen from ESPN, the New York Jets radio broadcast, joins us, and uh, Bob will... uh, have a brief meeting of the chronic whiners club. Uh, how was that radio booth for you yesterday? I, I enjoyed not seeing the game. It's great. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, is, which is worse? Is be it assigned to call something you have to watch and then not being able to, you know, like yeah. watch it. So uh, if I had to rank in order and nobody cares, but just between you and me for, for 20 seconds, if you had to rank in order, w- what's the worst part? Is it the angle, the, uh, detached from the rest of the media and civilization, the closed window, or something else? Um, I would say where you are more than anything else. The closed window is annoying, but again, nobody cares about that right. because you've got sound effects that pump into your broadcast. I mean, you're yes. in like a little people aquarium, but nobody <laughs> at home knows that. Um, but it's trying to call a play that's happening probably as the crow flies, like 170 yards away from where you are, <laughs> trying to tell somebody what's happening and where the guy's being tackled and what yard line it's on. And, you know, so it's uh, for the listener. I feel as bad as I do for myself because someone who was listening at home is probably thinking, well, did he get tackled on the 10, <laughs> the 7, the 5? I'm, I'm trusting you to tell me. Anybody's I'm guess. They're going, I right, might have gotten tackled on the 10, maybe the 7, could have been the 5. Really hard to tell. I found myself with a lot of abouts. I, I try to tell my students not to not to say that it was about four yards or near the sixteen right. yard line. But what what are you going to do? All right, that's enough of that. What are you going to do? Yeah, uh, the Jets though uh, parenthetically did uh, have a chance there late, and seemed like that one slipped away for them. Yeah, um, they. I mean, you know, the obvious point in that game to talk about is the interception at the end mm-hmm. when you know they're trying to get the field goal range and. Josh McCown just kind of threw to a predetermined spot and didn't see the coverage, and he blew it. And he admitted that he blew it, and there's no way that a quarterback that's been in the NFL, even as bounced around a guy as he's been for that long, should have done that. But the bigger picture for them is that they had the ball 
three other times in the fourth quarter and couldn't move it and couldn't change field position and couldn't eat the clock, you know. So that's that's really, to me, where they lost the game because that game was heading in the wrong direction. Like, even if they had not turned it over on that last drive, that game's probably going to overtime, and the Dolphins have all the momentum coming from two touchdowns down to begin with, so they would have been fighting uphill in overtime. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to delay the inevitable. Right. But where they lost it was if you get a two-touchdown lead, you don't need to score again. You know, that, that's sometimes, I think, what gets lost in, in football fans and in the media's, you know, idea of a successful or unsuccessful drive. If you've got a two-touchdown lead and you have the ball at your own 15-yard line and you move it from, say, your 15 to your 35, just get 20 yards and then punt it down to the other team's 15- or 20-yard line, win. Success. Right. Well done. It's when you start at your own 15 and go three and out, mm-hmm. or you start at your 20 and take a sack back to the eight, and now you're punting from the end zone, and the other team gets it at their own 45 or at your 45. That's where they lost. Because that allowed the Dolphins to score the two touchdowns. The two touchdowns they scored were with the short field because the Jets couldn't change field position because they couldn't get a first down. Yeah, if I heard correctly, first time since 96 that the Jets had a 14-point lead and lost the game. But uh, the reason we had Correct. you on, Bob, is uh, you know Jet, there are some Jets fans in the area, but you had the uh, Syracuse-Miami game on Saturday, and maybe a couple of those Eric Dungy interceptions fit in that same category, just kind of threw it up uh, for grabs. And uh, I'm sure for, as a, the television pro that you are, you're thinking that one could have gotten off the rails pretty quickly. It was 13 nothing. could have been a whole lot worse. Well, to turn it over four times in the first half, like basically Brock Heward summed it up perfectly because he watches all the tape of previous games. He watched Syracuse wall-to-wall this year. And last year we had the Notre Dame game, mm-hmm. which was probably, if I remember right, like a mid-October game, right? Yes. It was basically the same time, five or six games into the season. And he said, Syracuse, last year, four turnovers in the first half? Oh, it's 35-3 to in the third quarter, like not even a game. So the fact that they had the ball, one possession game, two minutes to go, I know fans hate moral victories. I know when you are right there toe-to-toe with a team, you've got a lead, you want to finish it off. Coming off the Clemson win, if you had had back-to-back top ten wins, all of that, I get the frustration. But this program is clearly showing significant signs of progress. They have a four-turnover game the way they did in the first half, and then have the ball with a chance to tie on the last drive. So, moral victory? I think so. I don't, you know, but I, I'm not, my emotions aren't tied up every week with Syracuse, so <laughs> I do get why a fan might not look at it that way, but you know, I thought Brock summed it up perfectly. Last season, 35-3 to is probably the score early in the fourth quarter, and now they're not that team anymore. Bob Wachusen of ESPN is our guest and uh, we thought that applied as well to the LSU and NC State games. You throw a pick on your first pass in each of those two games, those games both in years past would have been uh, significant blowouts, and uh, they weren't. And, and again, moral victories are kind of weak to be piling those up, but the, the point is more that the trend overall, the large pieces are headed in the right direction, and now it's a matter of closing these out. We only have about two minutes left, Bob, but I wanted to get your thought on – you see a lot of football, college and pro. You're in the Big Ten a lot um, around the ACC. When you see a guy like Dungy, and then you have an NFL game every Sunday, um, 
do you see an NFL quarterback there? And maybe more relevant uh, to that is how do you how does his heart project? What what does that mean in terms of uh, what you've seen elsewhere? Um, he's interesting. I think his delivery needs work. Um, he doesn't throw the ball yet the way an NFL quarterback throws the ball, certainly like on a rope outside the numbers. But, you know, the NFL is absolutely a league that is transitioning more towards the way that he plays football than the way, say, like, uh, you know, a Ben Roethlisberger or a Tom Brady plays football. Now, I absolutely still believe that in order to win in the NFL – you have to play at times the way those guys play. You have to be able to beat people from the pocket. But, you know, I mean, he, the fact that he put on 20 pounds from last year to this year, clearly he can take a beating and stay in the game. I don't know that he would have even stayed in that game on Saturday had he been the 20-pound lighter version of himself from last year. Um, Brock also told me that he's talked to a few NFL guys, and they at least have raised eyebrows where Dungy's concerned. He has, at the very least, got piqued some interest where next year, when he is in this system for a third year, there are going to be – there'll be scouts at Syracuse games next year. Mm -hmm. I don't know where folks are going to project him down the road. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, kind of a crazy athlete, runs around, makes plays, comes out of a similar system. You know, and he moved up. You know, Chiefs traded up to get him in the first round. I don't know that anybody's going to look at Dungy down the road and say he's that level – of a prospect, but do I think that he will be in someone's camp in a couple of years? It would not surprise me at all. Yep, absolutely. Good stuff, Bob. We appreciate it as always. You're a class act, and we thank you for your time, and uh, we'll do it again down the road. We'll see you in hoops. All right, next time you have a lousy booth, call me, take some pictures. I'll <laughs> empathize. You got it. Bob with Susan of ESPN. Friends, check out the Nature Boy 30 for 30. Be caller number five. We'll get you tickets to that. It's coming up for ESPN Syracuse.